Well, good morning. Um, as we uh, gather today, you maybe saw uh, on your, your bulletin cover or the, uh, the graphic that, that we have up here, uh, we are kicking off uh, a new sermon series uh, for the month of September uh, that is on the topic of, of generosity. Um, and, and where the, the title of, of this series comes from uh, is, as, as Pastor Brad and, and some of our leadership, we're, we're beginning to develop uh, a really kind of a, a generosity campaign that we committed ourselves to a couple of years ago uh, was how do we really articulate sort of the idea of how we see generosity and a big part of that was seeing that we aren't just called to, to be generous ourselves but rather as a part of the church we have been invited into a legacy of generosity. For example, even if you just think of, of some of the things that we've been able to do here, like the, the renovation uh, that, that we finished up a, a while ago, um, all the work that we've been able to do, a lot of that and, and the ministry taking place here is made possible by generosity, not just of ourselves, but by generosity of, of people for generations. And, and so we have been invited to take part in this, this legacy of generosity. And we also want to remember that, that we don't want to just be talking about generosity because, uh, well, we kind of said we would do this capital campaign to build up savings. Um, but rather, generosity is something that we should be talking about in all of our lives as disciples. It's something that the scriptures talk about a great deal. It's something that, that God in Jesus reflects to us, that, that he is always kind, always generous to his people. What we see in our, our gospel lesson this morning is, is really, I think, kind of the, the archetype for what Jesus says generosity is. You probably remember this story. It's, it's probably somewhat familiar to you. Jesus, he's in Jerusalem. This actually comes after Palm Sunday in Mark's gospel account. And Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's been teaching in the temple, and, and he's sitting there outside the temple, and he's looking and watching people as they put their offerings into the temple treasury. And, and he sees people come by, and, and many wealthy people, they're coming by, and they're dropping large sums of money in the temple treasury. They, he's seeing all of the big givers come through. Right, the people who, who would have their name on the library or people who would have the, the donation uh, that, they, that funds some big project. He sees these people coming through and, and he watches them drop their offerings in the temple treasury. And then he takes note of something that, that was probably very unassuming to everyone else. He sees this, this poor widow walk up to the temple treasury and she drops in these two small copper coins. These two small copper coins, they equaled roughly one sixty-fourth of a day's wages. If you multiply that out for an eight-hour American workday, that was like seven and, half, seven and a half minutes of work that went into the temple treasury. So she drops in what is, in, in our minds, a very small amount. But as she drops in these two copper coins, Jesus gathers his disciples to himself and he says, hey, did you see that widow put her offering in the box? He says, take note of this because truly I say to you, 
this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The thing that Jesus praises about this offering that the widow gives is, is not the amount, but it's the faith. That this widow, in putting in just this tiny little amount of money, these two small copper coins, these seven and a half minutes of work, by putting that in, she is risking her very livelihood. She is putting in everything that she has to live on. She is in her actions entrusting her very life and her well-being into the hands of her God. And as I think about that image of, of generosity, generosity that actually comes at great personal cost, generosity that risks something, I, I got to thinking to myself as, how does one come to learn that kind of generosity? How does one get to that place where they can actually give in a way that comes at great risk and great personal cost to themselves? How do we learn to embody the kind of radical generosity that this poor widow displays? And here's what I've come to believe is, is that our view of generosity and our view of our possessions is intimately connected to our view of the world around us. And in turn, not just our view of the world around us, but it is intimately connected to our view of who God is and how he treats us. And the reality is, is, is that most of us, what we are most heavily shaped by is a view of the world that is shaped by and determined by scarcity. If you've studied economics in any fashion, uh, or, or business, or, or if you've studied political science, you've, you've probably come across this idea before. You probably actually understand it much better than I do because I've studied none of those things officially. Uh, but, but what scarcity is, is this. Is scarcity refers to the basic economic problem, the gap between limited, that is scarce resources, and theoretically limitless wants. So scarcity is, is really the, the gap between what the world has and, and maybe what the world needs in some sense. What, what does the world need to meet the, the, limits, the limitless wants, the limitless desires that, human ha that humans have? Well, there's not enough. And, and so every economic system, every political theory, it in, it in some ways has to deal with this concept of how do you deal with the fact that there is a gap between the unlimited human desires in the world and the resources that the world has available. And, and I think that this concept, it has a way of shaping not just political systems, not just governments, not just economic theories, but it has a way of shaping the way that you and I view what we have. Because if our concept of the world around us is that everything is scarce, that resources may run out, what are we going to be inclined to do with what we have? Are we going to freely give it away? Not a chance. 
If our view of the world around us is that things are scarce, that, that there aren't enough resources, what we're going to be inclined to do is we're going to get really, really tight-fisted. We're going to hoard. We're going to keep things to ourselves. We're going to make sure that we are cared for. We're going to stockpile things that we have. We're going to grow selfish, right? Because things are scarce. And, and if I give this away, there may not be enough for me, for my family, for the things that I care about. And what I think this also has a way, this also has a way of impacting the way that we view not just our stuff, but the way that we view our God. Is that perhaps what we are led to believe about God is that not only is the world scarce, not only are our resources scarce, not only is what we have maybe not enough if I loosen my grip on it, but that God is scarce. And so long as that is our view of things, it is going to be incredibly difficult for us to embody generosity of any kind, let alone the kind of generosity that this poor widow displays, the kind of generosity that Jesus Displays. And so my conviction is this, what my thesis for generosity would be is quite simply that radical generosity flows from a relationship with a radically generous God. I'm going to say that again because if you don't remember anything else, that's what I want you to remember today, is that radical generosity flows from a relationship with a radically generous God. The kind of generosity where we are able to give of ourselves to genuinely sacrifice what we have in worship of God and in love of our neighbor, that kind of generosity, it flows from trusting in, from having a relationship with a God who gives at great cost to himself. And that is, I believe, the very image of God that we see from beginning to end in Scripture. Consider Genesis chapter 1. The, the story of creation. What does God do, right? He creates out of nothing. We're told that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We're told day one, God speaks and He brings forth light and He separates the light from the darkness. And then on day two, he separates the waters above from the waters below, and he separates the water from the land, and so he creates the sea, the sky, the land, everything. And then on that third day, he causes the land to spring forth vegetation, spring forth plants and trees and, and all kinds of things. And then as God has created this perfect environment for his creatures, he starts to fill it. Day four, he creates the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and he creates all kinds of these different air and sea creatures. And eventually, he, he begins to create land animals. And he gets to the very end, and he creates human beings, you and I. And he gives us dominion over his creation. And as we see that image of, of God in creation, we are forced to ask, why does God make any of this? Does he have to? Does God need to create this because he's like, I, need, I have some debt to pay. I need to create some creatures who can make stuff for me. No, that's not what God does. 
He creates because he wants to. Because it delights him to, to provide for his creation. That's the only reason he does any of it. And as God creates, does he create, create in scarcity? No. He creates a world that, that is teeming with life. The earth bringing forth vegetation, all different kinds of, of creatures and, and species. He creates beauty because he delights in his creation. The image that we see in Genesis chapter 1 is, is not a creation that merely serves some kind of functional purpose for God. But God creates creation because He enjoys it. He delights in it. And He loves to provide for it. Well, one example of this that I came across this last week is, is, is flowers. I'm not a flower buff or a botanist of, of some kind. But I read this past week that there are estimated about 200, 270 different, I can't even say it. There are 270,000 different species of flowers. 270,000. And within those 270,000 species of flowers, there are countless different varietals of every kind of flower. There are an estimated 25,000 varietals of just orchids alone. And, and I heard that and I thought to myself, I was like, you know, if it just came down to the way that flowers function within the ecosystem, wouldn't like one or, or two or maybe five like been enough? Like for flowers to serve their purpose in creation, wouldn't just a few have been enough? But that's not how our God operates. Because he is a generous God. He gives more than enough. He's a God who delights in beauty, who creates countless different kinds of flowers. Why? So that you and I would delight in the beauty of his work. We see from the very beginning of creation, we have a God who is a generous God. Who creates things not just for their function and purpose, but for their beauty who creates because he delights to create and, and care for that creation. That is who our God is. And even when humanity rebels against the Creator, our God never once grows stingy. When humanity rebelled and, and we wandered off into sin, our God never grows tight-fisted. But actually, the Scripture says that that Rebellion causes the generosity of our God to grow. Consider our Old Testament lesson this morning in Ezekiel chapter 11. If you know anything about the prophet Ezekiel, things had grown rather bad when Ezekiel is called to speak forth the word of God. Israel was already in captivity under the Babylonian Empire. Their land had been taken from them. Their, their, their kingdoms had just been crumbling because of this captivity, because of this judgment, and it had all come because of their rebellion against God. Their kings had wandered off and they had begun to worship other gods. Their, their, their priests and their religious leaders were doing the same and, and the people all followed suit. The people had offended God. They had brought desolation and, and desecration upon the land. But even in the face of that, their God never stops being generous. Hear these words again. The word of the Lord came to me. 
Son of man, your brothers, even your brothers, your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, all of them, are those of whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, Go far from the Lord. To us this land is given for a possession. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, though I remove them from, uh, from, uh, though I remove them far off among the nations, and though I have scattered them among the countries, yet have I been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they have gone. Even in their captivity, what is God still doing for his people who rebelled? He's still providing for them. He is still sheltering them. He is still being that sanctuary for them. He does not grow stingy. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered and I will give you the land of Israel. What does God, what has God done He's provided for them. What is he going to do? He's going to restore them. He's going to give them their land back. Why? Because he is a generous God. And he goes on. He says, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Even in their rebellion, God doesn't stop being kind and generous to his people. But he continues to protect them. He continues to care for them. And he promises them that not only is he going to bring them back into that land he had promised their fathers. He says he's going to put his own spirit within his people. He's going to take out those broken, hard hearts that they had developed. And he's going to put within them hearts of flesh that, that work properly, that beat for the things of their God. God never stops being generous. He always remains patient. He always remains kind. Paul says in Romans chapter 5 that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And when humanity's situation got worse and worse, God's grace, God's generosity, it only grew. Because that's who God is. If He is nothing else, He is a generous God. This is why generosity is, is not something that is sort of on the margins of Christian discipleship. But it is very central to the identity of who God's people are called to be because our God, fundamental to His identity, is that He is a generous God. It's who He is. At his very core, he is kind, he is generous, he is a God who gives. A God who is never scarce, never tight-fisted, but always open-handed, always prepared to give to his people. And do you know what happens when you begin to live in relationship with a God like this? With a God who never withholds with a God who wouldn't even withhold his own son from you. 
when you live in relationship with the God who has given his own son, Jesus Christ, to be our way that we could be called his children again. When you live in relationship with a God who has sent his own son to rescue you from sin and death by suffering and dying on the cross, giving his own life for you so that you could have an inheritance in his kingdom. When you live in relationship with a God like that, eventually what's going to happen is you're going to begin to reflect something of his character. And if central to his character is that he is a generous God, well, what's probably going to happen is we are going to begin to learn to be generous people. 1 John chapter 3. St. John writes to the church, says in verse 23, this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. When you believe in Jesus, when you believe in the gift that our God has given us in His Son, the promise that you have is that God abides in you and you abide in Him. And when that happens, what is going to happen also? His presence is going to shape you. His presence is going to transform you. His presence is going to be made known in you. That's why 1 John says later in chapter 4, we love because why? Because He first loved us. When you are loved by God, you begin to love. When you receive mercy from God, you begin to show mercy. When you have received grace and kindness from God, you can't help but be gracious and kind to others. When you have been a constant recipient of the generosity of God, both in creation and even more so in His Son Jesus, what is inevitably going to happen is you are going to learn to be generous, to be kind, to not be tight-fisted, assuming that things are scarce. But you're going to learn to let go, trusting that you have a God who has given in abundance because He is generous. I love the way that, that N.T. Wright sums up this idea. And this comes from, from his commentary uh, called Paul for Everyone, where, where he writes on the, on the pastoral letters. And, and he says this. He says, one of the remarkable things the early Christians were known for, and one of the reasons for the rapid spread of the faith, is the way they were unstoppable when it came to helping others, both financially and in practical ways. If people were ill, they would nurse them. If they were hungry, they would get them food. If they were in prison, they would visit them, and so on. And not only with their own family, most people in the world would do that, but with strangers, with people from different ethnic groups, even former enemies. And here's the reason why. He says, having been gripped by the generous love of God themselves, they couldn't help acting in the same way. Having been gripped, having been embraced by the generous love of God ourselves, we can't help but act in the same way. 
Because when we have been embraced by, when we have been loved by, when we have been welcomed into a relationship with a radically generous God, we can't help but be radically generous ourselves. People of God, I, I pray that daily you would grow in your generosity toward others. I pray that, that daily we together would learn that we don't have a God of scarcity. So that means we don't have to be tight-fisted. But even more than growing our, in our generosity, I pray that we would grow daily in our faith. Daily in our faith that from beginning to end, and most especially in His Son Jesus, our God has shown to us that He is loving, that He is kind. He has shown to us that He is, above all else, a generous God. Amen?